What's that place you've always wanted to try? Well, you're there. Sharing plates with just one bite. Or on second thought, maybe not sharing. It's that good. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Free Kids Workshops are back in stores at the Home Depot. On the first Saturday of every month from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., bring your little ones to a local Home Depot for a hands-on learning experience that kids love. Find more kid-friendly projects and kids' workshop kits at homedepot.com slash kids. For 25 years, the Home Depot has been building confident future doers with its free kids' workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Lost by last, U.S. only. And welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com, for all the programming we have available for you with our compliments on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. And uh, once again, we're coming to you on... Let me see here. Simul Radio, Simul TV. By the way, for Simul TV, we're on Simul TV Channel 21. iHeart Radio, Mutual Broadcast Network, and Talk Star Radio. Um, let me see. Just a reminder that tonight, Tuesday night at 9.30, the Exxon TV show is on cable 14 here in Hamilton and surrounding area. Later on this month, we are going to start broadcasting on Comcast, the Exxon TV channel, and we're also going to be on iLaunch, uh, the iLaunch network in 50 states, as well as 50 countries. Uh, that's the entire Exxon TV channel, so we're really happy, and I'd like to say hello to my good friend Stephen Turner, who is the president and CEO of Simul TV. Hi, Stephen. Always great working with you. It's been a good seven years, my friend. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is a lady we've had the pleasure of having on the show before. Dr. Susan Shumsky is her name. And Dr. Susan has dedicated her life to helping people take command of their lives in highly effective, powerful, positive ways. She is the best-selling author of 13 books published by Simon & Schuster, Random House, and New Page. A pioneer in the human potential field, she has spent nearly 50 years teaching thousands of people meditation, prayer, affirmation, and intuition. Her book titles include Miracle Prayer, Divine Revelation, Exploring Meditation, Exploring Auras, Exploring Chakras, How to Hear Your Voice, How to Hear the Voice of God, Ascension, Instant Healing, The Power of Auras, The Power of Chakras, Awaken Your Third Eye, Awaken Your Divine Intuition, and Color Your Chakras. Dr. Susan is a highly respected spiritual teacher, award-winning author, and founder of Divine Revelation, a unique uh, field-proven technology for contacting the Divine Presence, hearing and testing the inner voice, and receiving clear Divine guidance. For 22 years, her mentor was Maharishi Ma Mahesh. Ma Help me, Susan. Mahesh? Mahesh. All right. Uh, Yogi, who, gave, who was the guru of the Beatles and the guru of Deepak Chopra. Uh, Dr. Shumsky served on the Maharishi's personal staff for seven years. And joining me now to discuss one of her books entitled Color Your Chakras is Dr. Susan Shumsky. And Dr. Susan, welcome back to the Exxon. Always great having you with us. Great to be here. 
I asked you this off air, and I have to ask you again after reading your bio. Where do you get time? <laughs> well, I don't. <laughs> I don't sleep a whole lot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm very busy. You, you are. You are. And, uh, you know, we're grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule to join us tonight, uh, Dr. Susan. Always great talking to you. Let oh, me, it's my pleasure to be here. Let me start off uh, by asking you this question, Dr. Susan. Over the last, let's say, 10, 15 years, as the Internet has become more and more popular around the world, and people who had no access to um, the topics that you talk about, the topics that you write about, have you seen a positive swing in society? I definitely have seen a positive swing, swing not just since the Internet has mm-hmm. appeared, but even since over the last 50 years, I would say, the entire world has increased its vibration, mm-hmm. has gone up several notches and continues to go up vibrationally. In other words, there's just a better atmosphere on the planet which is more conducive to people having real spiritual experiences. Way back in the 1950s, you know, people really didn't have these kinds of experiences that are becoming quite commonplace now. That's true. And meditation is, a lot of people are practicing meditation, and you'll find yoga studios on every corner, Mm -hmm. you'll find martial arts everywhere. There's a tremendous proliferation of metaphysical knowledge and wisdom that is just, I mean, it's just exploded, uh, especially recently with the Internet. Of course, that has really, really made a big difference. What was it that started you on your path of enlightenment and, and your desire to make such a positive change in the world, Dr. Susan? Well, you know, it was the 1960s. I was a hippie. No. Those of us who were... <laughs> I was. Those of us who were flower children... Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was really even more about us experiencing altered states of consciousness, higher consciousness. Mm -hmm. At that time, our gurus were Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert, who wrote the book The Psychedelic Experience. And they were telling us that we could reach this higher state of consciousness called nirvana. Some people call it satori. In India, they call it moksha or satchitananda. Uh, so, you know, these experiences of higher awareness mm-hmm. are available and possible for human beings to attain. But we were uh, trying to do that through LSD, which didn't really work out very well. But finally, I did learn how to meditate, uh, you know, in a real way and not just taking psychedelics, but really learning the practice of meditation. And that's what really led me, you know, all over the world, um, studying with my guru, who was a very, the, the most famous guru of the 20th century, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and just being able to experience these higher states of consciousness. Susan, did you know at the time that the Maharaji... Mahesh Yogi was going to be such an influence on so many people and such a, a very important part of their lives. And I'm talking about the Beatles here. He was a great influence yes. with uh, George Harrison in, in particular. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is that um, 
at the time that I learned to meditate, which was 1967, mm-hmm. it was before the Beatles, although it was only a few weeks before the Beatles, actually. I learned on August 7th of 1967, and the Beatles learned to meditate on August 25th. They had met Maharishi on August 24th, and then the next day they traveled up to Bangor, North Wales with him, mm-hmm. at, where he was giving a 10-day uh, retreat, and they learned meditation on the retreat. They were intending to stay 10 days, but unfortunately they only stayed two days because their business manager, Brian Epstein, died on, on uh, August 27th. So their, that initial time was cut short, but then they did return and spend time with Maharishi in Rishikesh, India, which is where his ashram was at the time. So, no, I didn't know that uh, Maharishi was going to become so famous or that the Beatles were going to get involved. I just wanted to learn meditation because that's what we were seeking. It was, it was really in this counterculture. I was very much a part of that counterculture in the San Francisco Bay Area. And that was the summer of love, 1967, yeah. when I learned TM. 1967 was the year that Montreal hosted uh, Ma- uh, Expo 67, of which I spent my summer uh, at, oh. at Expo. And, it, you know, those were the truly good days. When we look back in time to the 60s, you know, 61, 62, right up to 67, they were so formative for so many people. And uh, like I've said this before, Susan, and I'm going to say it again, the hippies started the entire movement that we're seeing today. Uh, and, you know, absolutely, they, they had the right message. Love, not war. We should have learned that lesson yeah. by now. But, you know, humans really, being the Really, love, not war, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, Laura and I went to a Beatles concert that was held by the Hamilton Philharmonic Orchestra last, last week. And it oh. was funny. The, uh, the conductor said that... Preparing for the concert, he did some research into the Beatles. And um, it was one of the biggest mysteries of all time, who the fool on the hill was in the song Fool on the Hill that Paul McCartney wrote uh, with John Lennon. And it turns out that the fool on the hill was about the Maharishi. Because That's correct. people think that he was a fool on a hill when he was a very wise, solid, caring, loving man. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, Paul McCartney, who wrote that song, uh, he said that he, he wrote it, he said it was about someone like Maharishi, is what he said. Right. And he said, and, and it was uh, because Maharishi was always giggling, mm-hmm. and the press called him the giggling guru, <laughs> that people didn't really take him very seriously, but in fact... All right, Susan, we've got to, Susan, I've got to take my break. Please stand by. Exonation, yes. Dr. Susan Shumsky is our special guest this hour. Two websites, docTORsusan.org, that's drsusan.org, and divinetravels.com. This is the Exon. I am Rob McConnell. Dr. Susan Shumsky and I return on the other side of this break. Don't go away.
And welcome back, everyone. Dr. Susan Chomsky is my guest for this hour. Her website is drsusan.org and divinetravels.com. Susan, mm-hmm. before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about the Beatles, the Maharishi, and, and you've got a new book out that kind of uh, works very well in what we were talking about. Actually, you're right. My latest book is called Maharishi and Me, Seeking Enlightenment with the Beatles Guru, and it's my memoir about my time, my 22 years that I spent in the ashrams of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and six years on his personal staff. And also, the book reveals many secrets about the Beatles in India mm-hmm. and the song lyrics that they wrote under, uh, under Maharishi's influence and their entire, in fact, their entire history with Maharishi. And so it's a fascinating book and um, has a lot of celebrities in it. What was it like working in the ashram for seven years? Well, you know what? It was a combination heaven and hell. It was a pure heaven when mm-hmm. I was close to Maharishi and when he was putting his attention on me. Right. People don't really realize this, but someone who's an enlightened spiritual master, they have this incredible energy field around them, and you feel like you're being loved very deeply, more loved than you've ever been in your entire life, more loved than you could ever even imagine, actually, was what it was like being with him. And he transmitted this kind of spiritual energy and love energy through his eyes when he would look at you, when he would mm-hmm. place his attention on you. So when we were on staff, we were all competing to get close to him because we wanted to have that experience. So we were like fighting each other to get into his room. And, you know, so it was a combination of heaven and hell. It was extremely emotionally intense. It was like a very intense roller coaster ride, uh, extremes of emotions back and forth. Uh, heaven when, when he was uh, placing his attention on me. Hell when he would ignore me or when he would uh, disapprove of something I did or criticize me. Right. And he was, uh, it was very difficult, actually, to, be, to live with him and, and work for him. It was not an easy uh, thing. It was extremely intense. Why did so many people on the outside, and those who weren't in the know like you and I were back then, and we still are, we're still in the know, aren't we, Susan? Why, why did other people look, <laughs> look at the Maharishi and, and his way of looking at the world as if he had three heads, 14 arms, and uh, 16 legs? Well, you know, back when he first came to the West mm-hmm. in 1959, there was no meditation, there was no mantra, there was no yoga. Within 10 years, with a little help from his friends, the Beatles, Maharishi made these into household words. So people did not know about any of this stuff, and so it was extremely exotic and foreign at the time. But now meditation is very popular, and and so many people are practicing it. In fact, 14% of the entire population of of, uh, the United States, anyway, uh, claim that they meditate. That's a a huge percentage. So a a lot of people have taken this up, even Mm -hmm. though back then it was just so weird and and people just thought he was weird. In fact, he appeared on Johnny Carson many, many times, and Johnny made him the butt of his jokes, even when he wasn't around. He, you know, he would make fun of Maharishi. You mentioned meditation a number of times. How would you describe what meditation is to someone who's never heard of it, 
if that's possible, or who's never tried it. <laughs> you know, really, people who have heard of it may not really know what meditation is, even though they've heard of it, or even, even when they practice it. Even those who practice wow. it might not know what meditation is. Uh, real meditation is an experience of very deep, deep relaxation of the body, stillness of the mind, inner quietude, inner peace, deep, deep relaxation, deep uh, experience of wholeness, of oneness, of perfection. It's an experience that's hard to describe in words, but it's an ex- a very blissful experience, a very restful experience. And, you know, when I first meditated, mm-hmm. I had never experienced anything like that. It was so revolutionary. Uh, I mean, I had never really experienced that kind of joy, that kind of happiness that you get from meditation, and certainly had never experienced that state of unbounded awareness, which is where you feel expanded and you feel one with all, one with the all. I don't know how to describe it really, but it's a very profound experience. So that's really, if you're really meditating, that's what you'll experience. If you haven't had that experience, then you're kind of on your way to meditating, but you haven't really quite gotten there. All right. So if, if somebody wants to start meditating after listening you tonight, uh, listening to you tonight here on the Exxon, how can they do that? How can one meditate? Now, I don't know if this is meditation, but what I do when I get home after my work day mm-hmm. here in the studios and the offices, I will just get a glass of water and I'll sip it very slowly. And then in the living room, I shut off the lights. And I just sit there. And I can feel myself getting into a place of bliss. Mm-hmm. Is that meditation? Yeah. Absolutely. If you're experiencing a place of bliss, mm-hmm. yes. Absolutely. That is meditation. That is it. What is the what is the physiology behind meditation? How does our body uh do the meditating or, you know, I, I know that breath, your breathing is a very important part of it. And of course, the more air you take in, the more oxygen you take in. Uh, yes, I recommend mm-hmm. during meditation that people take very deep breaths. Right. Um, take a few deep breaths, not, not, med- not taking deep breaths the entire time. That would be mm-hmm. hyperventilating. Exactly. That's not what I suggest. I do suggest that you take the deep, deep breaths because that relaxes you immediately. Mm-hmm. In fact, right now, I would ask the listeners to just experiment by taking three very deep breaths. All right, right let's, let's do now. that. All right, let's do that. Here's one. Here's two. And then two. And three. And when you take those deep breaths, mm-hmm. immediately you start to settle down. Yes. Immediately you feel more centered, you mm-hmm. feel more relaxed, you feel more calm. So if you do that several times during meditation and keep asking to go deeper and deeper into the meditation, that will really help you to go deep and to experience that inner peace that is the goal of meditation. So, yeah, that's one thing I would suggest to people is the deep breath. Mm-hmm. And another thing is to have an intention, 
have the intention of really going into a deep state of meditation and know that you're safe, that mm-hmm. nothing bad is going to happen when you meditate. You know, you're not going to grow another eyeball or anything like that. Oh, come on. And I was looking forward to something <laughs> exciting to happen. <laughs> you're just going to experience some inner pleasantness and inner peace, and that is what really we're looking for. But doesn't, but doesn't meditation... So- but doesn't meditation tune your third eye? Uh, yes. In fact, meditation will awaken your third mm-hmm. eye. Your third eye is seated in the pineal gland. Right. And it is um, it's the eye of wisdom, the eye of illumination. Mm-hmm. It helps you to, to expand your consciousness, helps you to, to achieve higher states of consciousness, and also helps you develop supersensory perception or subtle sensory perception, however you want to call it. So that, those are some of the benefits of uh, awakening the third eye, and that's also a part of meditation. In fact, I wrote a book called Awaken Your Third Eye, and I wrote another book that's coming out, oh, I don't know, maybe the beginning next year, I'm not sure exactly when it'll come out, but it's called Third Eye Meditation. And that is a book of guided meditations that you can practice. You know, you know, it's funny, we were talking about growing a third eye, and that's exactly what happens when you meditate. <laughs> it is. And, and you don't, and there's many people who are probably saying, well, what, what's this third eye all about, you know? And that's exactly what exactly. we're doing when we meditate, is opening up that third eye as well. Yes, yes. So uh-huh. you do grow three that's eyes. True. Pardon me? I said you do grow three eyes. Yes, you do. You do go a third eye, <laughs> in a sense. Yeah, you do. What else can meditation... Oh, you know what? We've got a commercial break coming up here, uh, and I don't want to start getting into the conversation, because then I'll have to say, Susan, we've got to take our break here, but uh, just uh, stay with us for a few more moments here, Susan. Explanation, our very special okay. guest this hour is Dr. Susan Shumsky. Now... If you'd like to contact Dr. Shumsky or if you'd like to find out more about her, her books, all you need to do is go online to www.drsusan.org. And doctor is the entire word, D-O-C-T-O-R-S-U-S-A-N.org, as well as divinetravels.com. We're also going to be speaking to Dr. Shumsky about something very interesting, a UFO cruise. All this and more. This hour, here in the Exxon with my special guest, Dr. Susan Shumsky, as we continue broadcasting around the world, right here from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Susan Shumsky is our special guest. Her website is drsusan.org. And once again, doctor is spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R, and then susan.org, and divinetravels.com. Speaking about divine travels, tell us about this UFO cruise. (laughs) 
Yeah, I have a UFO cruise coming up October 6th to the 13th mm. of 2019. That's coming up in a few months here. And that'll be sailing from San Diego to the Mexican Riviera. That means Puerto Vallarta, Mazatlan, and Cabo San Lucas. And they are beautiful very locations. Famous, yeah. famous UFO investigators and uh, really UFO stars that are coming on this cruise. And, uh, yeah, ufocruise.com, ufocruise.com. Can you tell us who some of the researchers are that are going to be participating in your cruise? Yeah, we have Michael, uh, we have, let's see, James Gilliland. Mm -hmm. We have uh, Jan Harzan, who's the head of MUFON for the entire uh, country. Mm -hmm. We have Richard Dolan. We have Michael Tellinger. Uh, we have uh, J.J. Hertak, and probably we're also going to have Giorgio Sukalos. So uh, these are some of the amazing presenters. Uh, there's a lot more, by the way. You can see all of the presenters and their bios and everything at ufocruise.com. Uh, Stanton Friedman also will be, be there. Oh, good old Uncle, St- Uncle Stan. Yeah. Yeah, Stanton Friedman is the most renowned UFO ufologist in the world, really. And He's that's the one that wrote about the Roswell incident, you know? And that's at www.ufocruise.com, right? Yes, it is. All right, we'll have to keep letting our listeners know about this. Now, where can people buy tickets to the cruise? That's where, at ufocruise.com. You just go there and you click on the registration mm-hmm. and... That's, you sign up right there. And the rest is history. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, how did you get interested in UFOs, Susan? You know what? I do all kinds of, of holistic-themed cruises. Mm-hmm. And some of the cruises I've done are like intuition cruise, shamanism kind of cruises, right. just general cruise into spirit, uh, I've done ancient mysteries, cruises. I'm interested in all things paranormal, all things metaphysical. So, you know, I've done already uh, 17 cruises. My goodness. With various themes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I thought, well, UFO cruise, that sounds fascinating. Let's do that. I'm not an expert, certainly, in UFOs at all. But, you know, for me, it'll be a learning experience. I even did a conspiracy cruise, by the way, at one point, too. You know, it, it's interesting because you're going down the Pacific side of of Mexico, yes. and there have been a lot of UFO sightings around there, especially when it relates to the, the Mayans and the Aztecs. Yeah, this is what yeah. I'm told, you yeah. know. Like I say, I'm not an expert in this, but I'm really fascinated to learn more, so I'm excited about the cruise, about attending the workshops on the cruise wow. myself, even uh, though I'm the big organizer of it, you know? You're the big kahuna. I'm the big kahuna, yeah. There you go. As as we say on Maui, <laughs> you're the big kahuna. Exonation, our guest this hour is Dr. Susan Shumsky. Her website is drsusan.org, divinetravels.com. And if you'd like to participate on what I think is a great idea that uh, Dr. Shumsky is putting together, her UFO cruise, and if you want to register, find out more about it, who some of the great speakers are, just go to www.ufocruise.com. What is your favorite uh, aspect or your favorite topic when it comes to new age, paranormal, parapsychology, Dr. Susan? 
probably meditation and spiritual mm-hmm. awakening because those are really my fields of expertise. But other things are really are fascinating. For example, for example, I've written books about chakras and right. auras and prayer and spiritual healing and so many things. But I also, I mean, I haven't written about these things, but I'm very interested in these ancient mysteries and these ancient alien theories. Oh, and, big time, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think all of these are, are just fascinating topics. You know, these There's are... so much that you can absorb uh, about these things, yeah. And these are such exciting times because the information is available t- to one and all who want to learn more. Exactly. The Internet has yeah. really exploded our, our ability to experience and to learn about anything in the universe. <laughs> really fantastic. Now, now, you mentioned auras. How would you explain an aura to someone who has never heard that, that term before? Right. Well, you know, you have this gross physical body, mm-hmm. but you also have a subtle body. And your subtle body is working in concert with your physical body to keep you alive and to keep your heart pumping and so on. And there are different sheaths uh, of your subtle body. Mm-hmm. There is what we call the food sheath, which is called the Anamaya Kosha. The food sheath is called the food sheath because it's made of food. It is preserved by food. And it becomes food for something else after you're gone. So that is why it's called the food sheath. And that's your physical body. Then you have a subtler body called your pranamaya kosha or your energy body, your vital body. And that is made of life force energy. In India, they call it prana. In China, they call it chi. And in Japan, they call it ki. And that life force energy flowing through a specific circuits of energy called nadi, which are, or meridian, in China they call it meridian, uh, in India they call it nadi. These are conduits through which this subtle energy flows. And the chakra system, the, the centers of energy are, are in your, your vital body, what we call this pranic body or your life force energy body and these chakras are what's keeping you alive it's maintaining your body and then there's a subtler another subtle body it's called the vijnanamaya kosha or the intellect ego body uh there's also the manomaya kosha which is your sensory body uh your mind or senses through which you experience the world uh, intellect, ego, ego body is even subtler. And then you've got the uh, what we call the bliss body, which is Ananda Maya Kosha, which is your causal body through which you individuate. And then there are even subtler bodies than that. So in other words, we are multidimensional beings living in several bodies at the same time and living on several planes of existence at the same time. So we're not just this physical body. And even our senses are not in the physical body. They're, they're in a subtle area called the monomaya kosha. So when you die, uh, you, you still have your senses intact. Uh, the body drops off, but the rest of the, your subtle body still exists. So that's why people who describe near-death experiences, mm-hmm. it's because they are still using their senses, which are not 
in the body. In other words, even though you don't have any eyes anymore, you don't have any ears anymore, yet you hear people who have near-death experiences, they can see, they can hear, they can experience through the senses, and they can see their own body lying on the on the uh, gurney as they're somewhere up on the ceiling looking down. Well, guess what? That's because your senses are not just in your physical body. So you have this subtle body, and that's what we call the aura. The mm-hmm. aura or auric field is a combination of all these subtle bodies mixed together. That's that's what we call the aura. Is the aura what the, the artists of the golden days or the masters, when they would paint religious figures, they would paint a halo. Does this... Exactly. That's what it is. It's just a, a, it's a representation of the person's auric field. That's correct. Ah. The halo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It's the light, because, the, it, because our subtle body is made of light. Yes. Do you believe, or... Is it possible that heaven and hell are real? Heaven and hell are things that we create in our own minds. I see. We live right now in either heaven or mm-hmm. we live in hell. I think we all know what hell is. Yeah. And we know what heaven is. That's true. My dad. We God, experience it day by day by day. My dad, God bless him, has a saying, you know, hell is here on earth. Well, and so is heaven. Exactly. Exactly. You and I have to take a commercial break uh, in about uh, 30 seconds, Susan. Can, can somebody actually increase their aura, the strength of the aura? Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. What, what are we? In my book, The Power mm-hmm. of Auras, I give you many, many exercises for increasing your energy field, and that increases your charisma, and it gives you more sex appeal. All right, hold on. magnetic attraction. Hold on right there. Sex is what we're going to talk about when we come back from this commercial break. ExoNation, our guest this hour is Dr. Susan Chomsky. Her website is www.drsusan.org. Another website to check up, divinetravels.com, and here's my favorite, ufocruise.com. Susan and I will be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, Exxon Nation, the Exxon TV channel is going to be on iLaunch TV throughout the United States and Comcast throughout the United States later on this month. We're already on Simul TV, and people can watch us now in Canada, the United States, the United Kingdom, Germany, uh, let me see where else, Africa, the United Arab Emirates, Japan, Brazil, we're all over the place. Go figure. I'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. As I was saying, our guest this hour is Dr. Susan Shumsky. Her website is 
drsusan.org, and that's D-O-C-T-O-R-S-U-S-A-N dot O-R-G, divinetravels.com, and ufocruise.com. First of all, Susan, great having you with us. Uh, I've had the pleasure of talking to you a number of times over the 29 years that this show has been on air. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Oh, it's really my pleasure to speak with you. I always love coming on your show, Rob. Why, I thank you for that, Susan. Um, your book, Maharishi and Me, let's talk more about that, because to me that sounds like a bit of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a personal biography. Um, I understand that you worked in the ashram with uh, the Maharishi for seven years, but wasn't there a time where you were just one of his followers for so many years? Yes, I mean, I was a follower of Maharishi for over two decades and lived in his various ashrams for those two decades. And uh, it was an amazing experience to uh, study meditation so deeply and to be so involved with Maharishi Mm -hmm. and to, you know, really get get an insider's view of what it's really like to live with a spiritual master from India. When, when, when somebody thinks of the Maharishi, they, they, that image of the Maharishi with the Beatles comes to mind. What is the story behind the story about the Maharishi? Where and when did his spiritual journey start? And why did it start? Yeah, well, Maharishi himself, uh, he was a traditional Hindu in mm-hmm. India, and he was very uh, keen on visiting various saints, and he met this one saint that uh, became his teacher. Uh, his name was Brahmananda Saraswati, and he was a great religious leader of India. He ended up being a great one of the four main religious leaders in India, and Maharishi was a secretary. He actually worked on his staff. He wasn't really, uh, he, he had a, okay, he didn't have a, he was not a Brahmin. Mm-hmm. So in other words, his caste, he had a lower caste. He was born into a lower caste. So he was never able to actually become uh, what they call a Swami or to actually be initiated into the Shankaracharya order or anything like that. So he was just a secretary and, and he worked uh, in the ashram and did various tasks and that's the way he got to be close to his master. And, uh, yeah, so he really chose that religious life. He chose to become a, a disciple of a great spiritual master and then ended up really coming to the West to spread meditation to the West because people in the West really they didn't, didn't have a clue. They didn't yeah. know what meditation was. So Maharishi brought that to the West and made it, popularized it, and, he was extremely famous in the 1970s. He yes, was he was, yeah. on the cover of every magazine, and he was on all these shows on television. So he was very well known, but I got into meditation before that time, before he became famous. What were some of your duties in the ashram? Oh, boy. I did everything from, I was, I, I was he called me Susan the Artist. So I was painting paintings and uh, doing illustrations of the books that he was publishing, and I, I did that. And then I also worked as an in accounts. Um, I did bookkeeping, mm-hmm. took care of the cash box and things like that. 
Uh, I also uh, collected course fees for these huge courses we were doing in Europe. And also I was a hotel manager for this huge hotel in Interlaken, uh, Switzerland, which is called the Victoria Jungfrau Hotel. I mean, if you go online and you see this hotel, you wouldn't believe it. The, me as a young girl, there I was, you know, the hotel manager for all these people who came on the courses there. Uh, so that was another task I did. And I also did editing. Uh, I had a facility for editing, so I was editing uh, various publications. Um, I also did uh, graphic arts. My goodness. So many things, so many things, and so many skills I actually learned in the ashram, strangely. It was quite a quite an adventure. You know, and I was in Europe that whole time that I was with Maharishi on his staff. It was in Europe. Many people think of India as a a poor country for some reason or another. Why do you think such a religious th- uh, culture or philosophy started in India? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, why it started in India? I have no idea why mm-hmm. it started there, but certainly India is where the greatest wisdom and greatest knowledge came from that has spread throughout the entire world. I mean, for example, mathematics and um, every possible subject, philosophy, all the the great wisdom of the ages comes from India. I mean, it, it all gets traced back to India, it seems. I, I, th- I thought so philosophy... the great sages of the Himalayas... So? I, I was just going to say, yeah. I thought philosophy came from Plato. Oh, long before that. Really? Plato is very modern compared to the ancient wisdom of India. The ancient scriptures mm. of India are way before Plato. What is the difference? Way, be- way, way. What is the difference between the ancient scriptures of India and let's just take uh, the Bible, for example? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the reality is that all the scriptures all over the world mm-hmm. are really saying the same things. It's not like they're there's such a huge division or difference between the various philosophies in the world. They all really, it's like the perennial philosophy. Um, It's really the same philosophy. If you go deep into reading these scriptures uh, all over the world, you're going to find the same themes over and over and the same truth. Because truth is truth is truth. That's reality. Truth is truth. So, uh, but the ancient, ancient scriptures really come from India, and, and probably the mo- most ancient religion would be the ancient Vedic religion of India. Why are cows sacred in India? That's a really interesting question, and strangely, I know the answer. <laughs> That's why I asked you, because I figured cows, you would. Cows are sacred in India because in India... People believe in reincarnation, Mm -hmm. and they also believe that cows, uh, that certain animals become humans in their next life, and different animals become different castes. Caste means a level of society. For example, there's the priestly class, which is the Brahmin class. There's the warrior caste, you know, and there's the... A caste of, of people who are more servants. 
So there's this whole caste system in India. And in India, it's believed that cows become Brahmins. They become the priestly caste. So a a cow is going to reincarnate as a priestly caste if the cow is not slaughtered. If a cow dies a natural death, Mm -hmm. it will become a priestly person. It will become a human being in its next life. And a person of this highest caste, which is Brahmin caste. So that's why they call them Brahmin bulls, by the way. And that's the reason why uh, they believe that uh, cows are sacred. And there's a lot of cows hanging out in India, just kind of blocking the roads and so on. <laughs> they just wander about. So, so I would imagine there's no McDonald's anywhere around. Oh, yeah, they oh, do really? have McDonald's in India. Oh. Uh, you know, India is not entirely a Hindu com- country. It's also a Muslim country, mm-hmm. and Muslims eat meat. Yeah. Hey, you know, it must be hard for... Uh, it must be hard for all the cultures because I, I know the Hindu and the and the Muslim faith they're not exactly identical and there's a, a, there must be times when one rubs the other the wrong way. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a whole history of that mm-hmm. in the 20th century, and that's the reason why Gandhi, you know, got killed is because yeah. of the clash between the Hindus and the Muslims, and and Gandhi was trying to bridge that that gap and and try to heal those relations between the Hindus and the Muslims. That was one of the main missions of, of his life, was, was doing that. Yeah. And he believed in nonviolence. In my opinion, Gandhi was one of the greatest men to ever live. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, he is uh, the father of India, and he is the man who uh, single-handedly really um, helped India become a a uh, independent nation, independent from from England. So, Su- you know, Susan, the time has come when you great things. Susan, the time has come that you and I must say so long. But I want to thank you ever so much for joining us, and I look forward to the next time you join us back here in the X Zone. I always love to come, and I'd be very pleased to come back anytime, Rob. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, Doctor Susan, take care of yourself. And X Nation, if you'd like to get more information about Doctor Susan. Her website is drsusan.org. And then you can also check out divinetravels.com. And of course, my favorite, ufocruise.com. I'll be back on the other side of the news with this break after the news with a break at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, uh, the X-Chronicles newspaper is available with our compliments at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. And as of uh, about 20 minutes ago, Craig tells me over 10,000 cities around the world are where the X-Chronicles newspaper is read online or downloaded, and yet there's another 37,000 cities that we can't identify through our tracking system. We're getting out there, thanks to you, the Exxon Nation. I'll be back. Don't go away. New message. 
What up, what up? It's Heather's cousin. You dated her in college, or maybe you were just in the same class. Anyway, I heard you bought a boat, my man. Let's hit the water. Oh, and Heather told me you always liked, uh, snacks and stuff, so I could totally bring some chips. When you get a boat, you also get new friends. Make sure Progressive's one of them, and get coverage today for as little as $100 a year. Hey, also, I'm a little short on cash, so can you cover the chips? Thanks. I can see why Heather liked you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. Free Kids Workshops are back in stores at the Home Depot. On the first Saturday of every month, from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., bring your little ones to a local Home Depot for a hands-on learning experience that kids love. Find more kid-friendly projects and kids' workshop kits at homedepot.com kids. For 25 years, the Home Depot has been building confident, future doers with its Free Kids Workshops. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Wasp last, U.S. only.